It is Saturday, the 17th of September, 2022. You are listening to New Game Old Flame. I'm your host, Andy, and I'm joined here from the Finnish Diego. Hello, retro gamers. How are you here? It's been a very, a very sad week. Uh, I don't know if you heard that the Queen has passed away. So our, our deepest condolences to everyone. Newspapers and radios talk about it continuously um has that had any repercussions in finland well in finland yes of course but i would say not nearly as much as in italy apparently because already on on that fateful day the online newspapers were literally flooded with articles and also in the following days that's been really a huge amount of um, comments and even gossips i must say about literally anything related to the to the queen to the point that i was wondering if we in italy were talking more than you in the uk (laughs) god i don't think so i think there's a ceremony that they have been doing where all the people can go and look at the queen's coffin it's been um, really a major event for, for England and they have decided to make next Monday a bank holiday for the Queen's funeral. All right. I personally have not grown up with the Queen, but I've, I've heard loads of stories on the radio that she had a really good sense of humor. Well, it's a bit difficult perhaps for me to fully understand the extent of uh, these feelings because I have, first of all, never lived in a country with a monarchy because neither in Italy or Finland we have it. But uh, somehow it, she was very popular also abroad. And uh, she was a sort of an iconic person, so to speak. And of course, she has been queen for more than 70 years. So this is an event that uh, probably almost everyone hasn't experienced in in their lives the passing of one queen or king and uh, a new coronation and in the most famous monarchy of the world and it's full of rituals as well oh yes yes there's lots of different rituals that going on that people i don't know how they remember all these rituals i i, I don't remember they did talk about them and they did talk about them at the radio and they were asking themselves how do people even remember how to do all these rituals because they, as you said it they were done 70 years ago yeah I, I can imagine the protocols and everything that they have to follow and this is also one of the fascinating thing that it's very much under the scrutiny in mostly in the, in the Italian press, not so much in the Finnish press, but uh, because it all seemed so almost mythical in a sense that everything yeah. is so clearly laid out for such an event. And But also I think that uh, participation, the popular participation is... So in Finland, it didn't really, it wasn't as uh, important as it was in Italy, you said. Oh, well, at least on the newspapers... Um, I'm not sure if it's a good thing, actually, because I think that Italian newspapers tend to gossip a little bit too much. And they are really going into the details of every single aspect, from uh, the family relations and the role of every single person in her family, uh, what is going to happen to each one of them, uh, what are they doing, what are they feeling, presumably, (laughs) or what are they thinking. And uh, I think they are talking a little bit too much in Italy about it. It's like half of the newspapers still talking about it. Even though we have, of course, our own news, things that are going on, like an upcoming elections in Ah, a couple of weeks. (laughs) So there is plenty to talk about. And uh, But they are 
definitely devoting a large attention to this event. The the Finnish press is a little more reasonable than the Italian one in this aspect. Yeah. They and even perhaps more respectful in my opinion. I still think she was a mum and a person, so I still feel sad that someone has left. Have you ever seen the or played the game Flunky on the ZX Spectrum? Uh, I don't think I recall Flunky. What what is it? Well, it it just came to my mind because of the Queen, and uh, it's basically a so- sort of uh, um, puzzler, or maybe you could even call it a, a graphical adventure, so to speak, uh, where you you play the role of the butler of. Buckingham Palace, and you oh, are really? summoned by the different character of the royal family to do some tasks. It's quite humorous, and uh, all the characters are drawn in this caricatural style. But uh, it's uh, I, I don't think that maybe the Queen, I am not completely sure if she's also there. I don't remember exactly at the moment but there are others like charles and other others in the family that ask you to do things such as uh, prepare the bath for example for them or perhaps make a tea or doing something something else fetch some objects and it was kind of a nice humorous game on the spectrum that i think it perhaps as a sort of homage would be nice to play that (laughs) one of these nights uh, that's a that's a good idea. Like a homage. homage. Do you say homage? I don't know. Like a respectful thing. Yeah, I think I'll try it definitely for sure with the uh, the new Spectrum uh, that I've got now. I can I can test it. Meanwhile, my, I don't know if I told you this before, but uh, the monitor has uh, been refunded. The the Sony Trinitron uh, VGA monitor that was that arrived smashed. I've got the money for back for that, and it actually works. So I will try and and sort out the bodywork in my repairs. While I was do- looking at this stuff, I was finishing my Portugal snacks. So I, I bought some of the snacks back from Portugal. Uh, not many, so I-, I haven't tasted loads. I have tasted, though, one sort of a cake, which is a layered, I think it's oil- oiled baked bread layers, one on top of the other, and in the middle there's cinnamon and lemon. It's called folar de olau. It's very, very good. My kids love it. It's very sweet. Uh, I think it's um, Portuguese, but uh, I, I might be wrong. I highly recommend that. Well, the name certainly sounds like it. I think there was another variation of that, but we didn't taste that one. I, and I don't know which is the original, but I highly recommend Folar de Olau. I noticed as well that in our Discord server, there are some um, Mr. T, I think he's called, and he's quite interested in your lentil snacks, which is good. And I think also Weedo, uh, which we sent a great shout out to, seems to be attracted to those lentil chips or lentil snacks that you that you got me. I still think they're amazing. I think you should post a picture of the oat crisps because those were also very, very good. I don't think anyone has had those. All right. I, I even think that perhaps the lentil snacks, it might be possible to buy them online and have them shipped in other European countries, but I'm not completely sure. But they do have an online shop. It remains to be seen if they also deliver them outside of Finland. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's definitely quite an original snack since it, it's actually loose lentils. So it's uh, it's not like crisps. They might be a little uh, uncomfortable to eat. But did you notice that they even have instructions Yes, package. that was amazing because my my kids was trying it one at a time and on the instruction package there's the hand and I think pour like a handful of them and then all in the mouth in one go. That's what the instructions yeah, says. Yeah, I thought that was quite hilarious because I don't think I've ever seen instructions on how to eat a snack on the on the it's package. Amazing. But it's it's I think it's tongue in cheek or or like a joke because well but uh, still, well, it, it, it's, it's a real thing, <laughs> instructions for how to eat. So are you planning on becoming a sort of uh, expert on worldwide snacks, 
make building a map of wherever you go for holidays. Oh, that would be an amazing being the snack expert. But I, I, I think I just want to try different snacks from different countries. I think we haven't had much luck with Mark with his uh, peanut butter jar. But um, I think in the future, I want to ask our hosts what they, what they would recommend from their country. If we have people from different countries, that would be amazing. And just know and just maybe try something. I, I don't know I'll be able to try what Alex said in the, in the Flight of Pigros episode because I don't, even if I listen back to it, I wouldn't know how to write it down. It's very complicated. Maybe we can get something easier to write so then I can actually Google it and maybe try it and then comment on the show. That would be amazing. That's an amazing idea. I love it. Anyways, going forward, uh, I was dealing with this monitor stuff and then I've, I've put it in the garage as another repair in my immense backlog. And I was trying to get my RGB PI ready uh, with, to play Yazzie, the game that we're going to play today. And I have to give a mega shout out to Bonner79 because he's been an amazing, amazing guy. He's helped me out a lot. He sent me loads of messages. Try this, try that. I couldn't get it to work. So basically, RGPPI, for people who don't know, is for me the most useful and quick to set up emulator for old consoles. Now, what we've played leading up to today, Yazzie is not, I don't have that console. I don't have the MSX. So I had to emulate it and I used RGB Pi. Now, because this is a new game, it had to go on the new version of the RGB Pi, which now has an OS 4 and it has a lot of better support to like and other consoles. It's just much better than the OS 2, but it's in alpha. So it's a bit of a mess to set up and this guy helped me a lot. I was able to set it up. It took me quite a while. And while I was doing that, I was having thoughts about us reaching the end of 2022. And I thought about creating, I don't know, a small poll or something, or maybe we just decide, I don't know what you think about this, but having a game of the year for us, like, you know, from the ones we talk about, we decide which we have preferred the best. What do you think about that? That's a good idea. But do you think that we should focus on our own year or rather try to have the best of 2022 because i think we we have the tendency also to go a little bit back into the past we haven't exactly reviewed games of this year but a bit older uh, ones too our year i would say our year but maybe we can decide this mm. later on we can have different categories you know we can say best music best uh, graphics or best playability but i think it should revolve around what we have talked about not about things that we don't know yes okay and i, I think we should ask our followers on discord for example to uh, to send their votes or nominations for what they would like to about about these games which ones they would like to win in each category and then we'll put together so it's not just the two of us deciding what has been the best game i think we can do that we'll set it up for i don't know december i'll try and set something up and uh, and see how that goes might go completely wrong this year but who knows we'll try so i think you're already thinking about what would be your your own favorite i know you probably already have oh, i don't you know so it becomes very difficult for me to to judge let's say as well i would be very biased on what has been the most fun episode that we have recorded probably as well so i need to be able to abstract myself from that and just focus on the game but it's difficult uh otherwise yes i do have some ideas in mind already but we've still got plenty of episodes to go so i might change my mind yeah that's that's right so two of our listeners, I think uh, one you told me about, have asked us where we, they can find some show notes. So I am, I am building a page for each podcast where you will be able to find the show notes and you will find the download links and you will find anything that we have said in the podcast that you can use or download, which is obviously free distributable. Sometimes... We, we talk to developers and we talk to them via email and we ask them lots of questions. Maybe we can publish that as well. So if you, you can read the correspondence as well and you can find all the 
extra information and links on there if you want to look at it. Yeah, I say that would be a very, very nice addition in my opinion. So please go ahead. <laughs> how's how's it been over there for you? Well, nothing much. I've been, of course, testing out our games and following a bit of news about new games in development for our old flames, obviously. Have you been playing any other games other than the old, the new games and old flames? <laughs> no, not not really. I think I haven't had that much free time recently, and uh, the little one that I have been spending still making some music with the rocksmith game or oh, yes, software yes. so to speak yeah you know i can't stay away too long from it but um speaking of new games under development i just wanted to mention one that really caught my attention it's uh, for the amiga and it's called settle the world so as i said this is still under development so we have some teasers and uh, uh, pictures and videos of various kind but we don't have the game yet it's not released yet and uh, it got my attention because it's uh, essentially a building trading game uh, designed by Theo Theoderic and I think it's uh, not really common to see people develop that kind of highly complex games for all platforms I think there's few, and you've already mentioned one for uh, the Spectrum, a real-time strategy game. Oh, I I will interrupt you on that because I didn't know if I should talk about this, but I have received some other insight in uh, in that RTS Torn Metal, and the developer has sent me another video of how it's coming along, and it's just looking great. I can't say too much, but I, I, I really want to cover that particular game sorry no that that's okay and that's great to hear that you've been in contact with him directly because i'm also interested to see how how he's gonna really pull it off on the spectrum uh, notoriously limited machine but uh, nevertheless i i really like these kind of games perhaps they are among my favorite genre uh, settle the world it's going to be a game pretty much inspired by Sid Meier's colonization, if you have uh, played that game. So, well, it's all about like managing your own people, collecting raw material, trade goods, have a business, assigning workers to different tasks. And it's really meant for multiplayer, which is also something that I always, always, always look out for. I really want to play games with other people mostly, as much as possible. So will you be able to play against the AI? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. That would be probably a little bit too much to develop. So you're going to have to play with other players. Well, it's it's mentioned that single player will be possible, but it will significantly lack challenge in absence of other people. So... We, we should pretty much consider it a multiplayer only game. Okay. Okay. It looks good. But it's, uh, it, it looks great. And, um, well, one, one bit that I find kind of funny is that it, it has a, a map generation functionality. I, I, I love that kind of thing because, for example, you know, I'm a huge fan of role play games. I love using maps in role play games and just showing to the player the map and tell them, okay, where do you want to go? So I've, al- I've always been searching for software tools to generate random maps. And it's kind of a complicated functionality overall. And this game has a little map generation functionality, but the developer says that it takes almost 20 minutes on a Amiga 500, 500 yeah. Yes, to, to generate a, a large map. So it's going to be pretty uh, much a detailed algorithm and uh, of course on an emulator it's gonna take seconds so perhaps eventually when we are gonna play this game it might be a good idea to first generate maps on an emulator then maybe save them on disk and load them up on your Amiga 500 and and keep playing the game with the maps pre-generated on the emulator, so you're going to save a lot of time. Yes. But also, well, the point is playing the game, not just generate maps. So once you do have a map, you're ready, and you're probably going to play this for 
days and days because these games are really, really long in terms of gameplay. It looks beautiful. It looks really, really nice. From uh, I think it's developed for um, the Amiga uh, 1200. The, the demo that I saw, so there's some videos going around rather than demos, and um, it looks uh, very, very nice, but I think it's got the AGA palette thing, so it's got more colors. I wouldn't say it looks like a modern game. You see it's got some age, but I think it holds up pretty well. I found it quite funny that I saw, like yourself, like when it was generating the map, it was so slow. Yeah. It just reminds me how complicated is it, and or how little power does the Amiga five hundred in the, in that case have compared to modern hardware? It's just incredible. I'll, I'll be very curious to try this with the. I don't know if you remember, but I I have an Emu sixty eight, so it's like a sixty eight forty, and it's very very fast. I would like to try that on my Amiga with that accelerator and see how fast it, that is. And also, it would be really, really incredible if we could get the the developer to come on one of the episodes. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good idea. And perhaps we should consider an episode on also these kind of high complexity management or building type of games. Definitely. But let's see. I, on the other side, on the other hand, have not played any new games for Old Flames. I had some free time, and I. I don't know if I remember, I, I was starting my StarCraft adventure uh, last episode, so I went on with that, and I, yes, I discovered that it's not all free. It's only the prologue missions that are free, and then you have to pay. And the price you have to pay, I think it's £15 for campaign, which seen on Steam, I don't know, it just seems a lot to me. I've already got so many games. I would love to finish StarCraft with all the factions, but then I cannot get myself to pay that money right now. I will eventually. So what what I did, I started playing XCOM 2, which is a game that I bought on Steam some time ago. And that is a descendant directly from Enemy Unknown that was uh, initially published on Amiga and PC. After that was Terror from the Deep. And then there was XCOM 1. And I've enjoyed, believe it or not, this is probably one of the only franchises that I've enjoyed from the start to finish. I played the first years ago my probably when i was 15 or 20 and then i've played all of them and i've loved them all and i thought the xcom 2 was going to be different and instead i it's really engaging i really love those turn-based strategy games and i have delved a bit further into tiny folks which uh, i talked about in the previous episode and i understand a bit better but i can't talk about it properly yet because i'm still in the early stages xcom Enemy Within is one of the games for PS3 that has been sitting on my shelf for a few years now. I am sure that the day that I start playing that game, it's going to enthrall me and I, I won't be able to stop until I finish it all. So good that you sometimes remind me about that. <laughs> it's a marvelous game. I mean... I really like all the exploration and uh, the research of the new alien technology. Then you can use their technology against them. It's just that that's, that bring is oh, just in, engages me in a way that I, I really find myself, I can't put it, the computer down. Really good, really good. The turn-based as well gives me the time to think and where I'm going to position the people and what, the, what skills I'm going to use. And there's so many new skills in XCOM 2. I would like once to go back and try and play the first one. I wouldn't say on the Amiga, but maybe on the PC I would play it. I think it was the first game that was 640 by 320, I think. But I, I wouldn't put my bets on that. But uh, I remember it was one of the first high-res games I saw. It was amazing. On the hardware side, I've also noticed um, a little news about 8-bit uh, 2 releasing something that they call the ultimate controller for PC gaming. Although it's also actually for Nintendo Switch, if I understand right. There were already reviews, although I, I'm not even sure. I think it's still on pre-order now, so it will be actually sold in a month or two. But there were raving reviews already 
And uh, so I, I just had to look into it. But, well, what can I say? It looks like, well, they say that it's really top-notch performance, very programmable. It has all the usual motion controls, rumble, vibration. It's perhaps a bit pricey in my opinion. I think it's 60 pounds or 70 euros or 70 dollars. That's a little already on the pricey side in my opinion for a controller, for a gamepad. But, well, I mean, it looks perfect, but it also got me thinking a little bit because basically it just looks like the usual controller, like the same kind of controller we've seen since (laughs) PlayStation 2. And it got me thinking, well, could it really be that we have now settled for good with the current design factor and we're just to expect only minor tweaks only and we are going to forever play with these kind of controllers. Well, of course, not counting perhaps special games that might need their own unique controller. But I'm not sure. I mean, it seems like they've taken inspiration a lot from the Xbox controllers rather than the PlayStation because... Especially if you look at the pictures, you've got the the four buttons on the right-hand side are named the X, A, B, and Y, and those are named like the Xbox controller. But just to pick up on what you were saying before, are we going to settle for good? I think there's been Steam who's tried to do a different kind of controller where completely different, well, not completely different, but very different in which you just had to move your finger, I think it was, in a kind of depression on the controller itself rather than have a stick, let's say, like uh, that you a thumbstick, they call them. And I don't know how well that went, but I haven't seen it anywhere since. I think you're right, maybe we are actually all converging to this sort of controller, but I'm sure that there'll be some innovators like Nintendo maybe later on that will come up with something completely wacky, like the Wii did at the time, or or like, um, what's it called? Um, the Oculus came out with uh, this new style of controller where you, you grip it and, it and it looks at your hands. I think probably you're right. For for the time being, though, maybe this is the controller we'll, we'll stay with for, for quite a long while. Let's say I don't feel very motivated to pick another one right now, to be honest. I... I have a favorite, that's the Logitech F710, which I think it's already pretty old. I think I bought this one maybe seven years ago already, but uh, I don't feel like I would like really to, to move to another one. It's hard to think that it would be even better. And you know what? Eventually, I do have a personal gripe with this ultimate controller because it has these asymmetric analog thumbsticks <laughs> so i don't know why these are so popular do, do, do you actually like playing with these asymmetric thumbsticks because for me maybe it's just my mild ocd or something but there's two thumbsticks they look the same so they should be aligned on a line not one up and one down. You but might be right. I, I don't know. I've got the, the Xbox 360, the PlayStation 2, 1, and basically all of them. I can't recall if they are in, in actually, if they actually are on the same line or not. And for me, it's now second nature on, let's say, modern games. It's quite second nature with my two thumbs, especially to rotate the camera. Now I've grown used to a certain behavior of my thumbs will trigger the movement of the camera. And I don't find it difficult, but I don't remember, to answer your question, I don't remember if they are all on the same line or not. Well, um, I I would like to know if, if there's some particular games that really is better with the four directional pad control with one thumb and the right thumbstick with the other thumb rather than two thumbsticks but i haven't encountered such game so on the ps3 i have lots of 
shooters, for example, where one thumbstick is used to move your spaceship or whatever, and the second is used to shoot in on a 360 degrees range. And I can't think of a game where I would have wanted the four directional pad and a thumbstick. I don't know, maybe that's just me. But I also I also use this on on the PC. So I've I've used it on on Windows PC for example with the MAME emulator to play very old arcade classics. And there's uh, not that large number but still a few interesting old arcade games that were originally played with two joysticks. And for them, you really... I think uh, they were very niche games. Yeah, you... I've got my thoughts on this, but I'll tell you in a minute. Yeah, well, I, I think maybe the most famous one was Robotron. Early 80s, essentially a shooter game where you are some character in a room and the room is full of robots that keep coming out and you have to shoot really everywhere. But that that's not one that I, I particularly remember fondly. But some of my very old favorite games that I... I think we might have even played some of these together when we were like 10 years old uh, at the Parish. <laughs> you know, you you remember that they used to have yeah, this bar with, uh, with a few cabinets. And they had some of these games with two joysticks. Probably they got a cabinet with two joysticks. My God, that's ages ago. That, that, uh, and then they rented some ROMs of different games at different times. But they are kind of interesting in the mechanical, always these two joystick games. They're very different. There's, I remember at least three favorites of mine. There's a, a fighting game called Karate Champ. So we are talking about here the prehistory of fighting games. So many years before Street Fighter, for example, the Street Fighter series. But with, with this game, you had two joysticks. And I think if you just move one, you would control the general movement of your character. But when you combine with the other joystick, you got out lots of combinations that led you to either, either an attack or a block. And it was kind of complicated to decide what to do with these two joysticks at the same time. I bet. And then there was Crazy Climber, where you are this character that has decided to climb skyscrapers as a hobby. To do with the two joysticks, you control your hands. So right joystick, right hand, left joystick, left hand. And by moving these, you can climb up and also move sideways to avoid Various, various obstacles such as windows closing on your fingers and which will make you fall down or various characters popping out of the windows and throwing some objects at your head. And uh, I think it makes for a very, very unusual gameplay. And uh, I, I wanted to replay those very old games on MAME years ago. And that's why I specifically always looked for controllers that had aligned thumbsticks rather than the layout of this 8P2 Ultimate Controller. So I don't know, maybe that's just personal preference, but I would be interested in knowing if there's some specific games where instead this asymmetric layout has a very good reason to be preferred. Good question. I have no no idea, but if you're searching for aligned sticks, you've got them in the PS1, in the PS2, and possibly you should know probably in the PS3. Yes, definitely. That's the so there... PlayStation default, but for PC gaming, well, I did fi find a, a good share of them, but I still think that the asymmetric ones are somehow more popular. Yeah, the Xbox 360's got asymmetric, and it was fine. I, I've played with that a long time and had no troubles whatsoever, to be honest. And the, the reason... Uh, yeah, I don't know why they're, they're... There must be some sort of study be behind the reason why it's aligned with the, 
with a D-pad, but I have no idea what it is. But it does feel quite natural. So I've been playing, for example, Dead Cells, which is a really, really good game. And I think it just becomes, again, second nature, even if it's uh, misaligned, not misaligned, if it's aligned differently. It, probably it's right. If you look at the PS1 controller, the two sticks are so tight together that if you're actually using them, it's harder to move your thumb further up to go and press the other buttons rather than move it down, if you know what I mean. So maybe maybe there's something like that going on. I don't, I don't really know. But it must be some sort of, uh, they must have done some sort of study on what is better. And I think if you look at the history of the controllers, it seems like they're, they're starting to go to the not aligned. Does the PS5 have them aligned still? I don't think so. I'm not sure. I do not have a PS5. But I think it probably follows the same tradition as all the other PlayStation. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. They're aligned on the PlayStation, but misaligned on the Xbox. How bizarre. Okay. Uh, that's a very, very interesting. So one study, maybe there's no study. They just keep it like that. I have no idea. Because ideally, if you do a human research on seeing, you know, oh, what's the best one, they should be the same and they should all converge to one style. But instead, no, they, they just keep going on this and on their own design, basically. Oh, ours was always going to be aligned down and the other ones are always going to be misaligned. Not misaligned is the wrong word, I keep saying it. But, but I mean aligned, not aligned. Right, I'll talk very briefly as well of a couple of um, hardware things that I've seen. And I've noticed that there are there is a new Commodore 64 called Commodore 64X, which is on, I think it's on Kickstarter, if I'm correct. I saw this and I thought, oh, another Commodore 64. <laughs> what are they going to do this time? And... Uh, it's not like a mini, it's not like a, a normal replica. It's basically a PC inside a Commodore 64, which I was a bit disappointed <laughs> to find out, to be honest. I, I like retro stuff, so I think we should always play with the original hardware. So already that is a starting point for me to say, oh, the, the C64 mini, maybe, maybe not. But then when I saw this one, I was like, oh, but what is it? And then it turns around and it's got the USB port and all. And then it's just a, a PC in it. It's, apparently it's going well, but I don't think I'm going to back this one. But I'm just uh, a bit flabbergasted. I don't know if I'd like to have it, but it, to each their own, I guess, isn't it? And then always for the Commodore 64, I've seen they're, they're trying to do some keycaps again. Now, I repaired quite a few Commodore 64s back in the days and... Most of them have some keys that are yellowed and so, or you want to just, you know, make a new Commodore 64 and that will require a new set of caps if you do if you want it to make it stylish or to look in line with whatever else you've got, like a chassis or a case, you want to call it. And a lot of these campaigns have already been done for the keycaps. And I don't think I've seen a successful one, but maybe someone who knows a bit more about this can correct me if I'm wrong. And here yet is another Indiegogo campaign for some more keycaps. And I think this time there's an update saying the, the dollar sign cap has gone wrong. I hope this works out. I really would like to buy myself some sets for a couple of Commodore 64s that I've got at home. But I haven't been able to find a successful campaign that then actually goes on and sells them to other people who have not backed the campaign. And maybe that's the whole point of, uh, you can argue, of, of Indiegogo. So I, I am prepared to back it. But with so many failed ones, I was a bit reluctant. And I still am. And I'm still not being proven wrong yet. Last two things I'm going to mention very quickly. I think Weedo, one of our listeners, has pointed out that there has just been a release about a game. So I, I thought I'd check it out and I gave it a shot. It's called Fido's Magic Tiles by, oh no, Tom Sutton. <laughs> I think it's his name. It's all one word. And it's like, um, I think it's called Bejeweled on uh, like a, that sort of game. It's like a puzzler. So the blocks fall down and you can mix them around. And you have to match the, the the symbols on it in order for them to disappear. It's pretty neat, cool. We'll probably test it later on, maybe next year. And then another one that I found that was called Time Nights for the Game Boy Color. And I've tested that one as well. Yeah, this was a bit less impressive. I haven't tried it for an extensive period of time. It looks quite nice. 
but I I can't I can't say more about it right now because I've I've literally just tested it for about five minutes. Let's say the first one, Frida's Magic Tiles, looks more down my alley than the Time Knights, but it was very frantic and very quick. But we'll definitely have a look at it later on. Now, I think it's time for us to talk about uh, today's game. And Diego, I'll leave you the honors to present it. All right, thank you. So the game of the day is Yezzy by the team Retro Soul, originally developed for the ZX Spectrum in 2019. But the versions that we have uh, reviewed, tested and reviewed, are for MSX and for the Sega Mega Drive. So what is the game about? If you haven't tried it yourself already, it's essentially a platform collect-em-all type of game. So a platform where the focus is on getting all of a certain type of objects on the screen, which in this game is apparently gold coins and not so much for example on fighting enemies or reaching a particular exit. In fact in this game you are practically defenseless as you cannot shoot the enemies and you also cannot jump in this particular platform so I would call it a platform and ladder style game. So overall it sounds simple and the gameplay itself is also very simple. Mostly you are just moving left and right on the platforms, up and down on the ladders, but you have a few special actions. And by the way, the game is kind of uh, mildly exciting, so to speak. It's I found it a bit relaxing to play, as a matter of fact. You don't have any time limits, so not much pressure. You have infinite lives. You can keep trying. In some level, you can even find some safe spot for more time to think. Others level keep you more on the move, but generally speaking, let's say it's an action game, but kind of relaxed. Not much to think for the first half of levels. Later on, there's a little bit more puzzle aspect to take care of. So it's not always becomes less obvious how to actually really manage to collect all these coins and finish the level. But once you get them all, the level is won. And um, in the MSX version, it's practically a single screen game, no scrolling. Most of the layout is made of bricks. And the first thing that you need to know is that by collecting the pickaxes, you can dug one brick at a time. For every pickaxe you collect, you can essentially dug one brick and make yourself a route to the next level below, perhaps. And that's the first kind of action that you need to know about so as to finish certain levels. Then there's other mechanics involved. Some platforms are made of steel rather than bricks. And you can drop down to the next platform just by pressing down with the joystick. This is something that, for example, the enemies that you should avoid cannot do by themselves. So it's a good way to run away from them. And then again, you, you also get some special blocks here and there in certain levels. There's some arrows where pressing the action button causes them to extend some platform, usually steel platforms from them, so as to cover some ground that it's previously empty. There are some other arrows that teleport you down to the next level or even up on top of the screen. There's some disappearing blocks and there's even some mines that once you walk on top of them, in a few seconds they will explode and destroy all the bricks around them. And while you're trying to use this to your advantage, you have some enemies that don't exactly follow you. They seem to move a little bit erratically on the screen and they're not very fast. So not very difficult to avoid, but anyway, these are the main dangers that you have to look for. In addition to some fire pit that you should try to avoid falling into. And in certain levels, you also need to avoid getting stuck. That's not always possible, but in some levels, it is something you need to watch out for. 
All right, that's the game description in a nutshell. You should also be aware that there are two versions for the MSX. The original version is the 20 level version, and then there is a remastered version with 10 more levels. And I think that there are mostly minor changes in the gameplay. But the Mega Drive version otherwise had some significant difference. But we're going to talk about that maybe later on. First, I want to ask you, Andy, how did you like the MSX version? When I first booted the MSX version, I was like really surprised. Is the MSX version was an 8-bit machine, is that right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I was really impressed. I was really impressed, but in my memory, one of my friends had an MSX, and I did not recall the the graphics being able to be so bright for bright and colored and and with so small pixels. I remember I I kind of had a memory of it being a bit like the, uh, the Atari twenty six hundred with very big blocks. So when I saw it, I was really pleasantly surprised. And I played it all, and it was quite funny because I got stuck on the 20th level, which I didn't know was the last one. I was like, I need to get to the next level. I need to get to the next level. But then the game used to freeze because there is a small mechanic that when you get stuck and you can't move, you can press a key R, and it will kill you, basically, and you can restart the level. But if you press the, the letter R exactly in the moment when you're hitting an enemy, it will freeze the game. That's what used to happen to me. I don't know if it happens to anyone else. I played the, the, the original, the remastered, and a bit of the of the Mega Drive to just get a flavor of how, how it was. And the original, for me, remains the clearer version where I can see clearly what are the blocks, what are the enemies, and the fires... With one exception, which is when I used to spawn in a new level, I it would take me, I don't know, a bunch of seconds to understand where I was because the enemies were all colored and looked very similar to yourself. So I was a bit confused every time I started a new level and tried to find myself on where I was. But the game is is very is very good. It gives you about, I don't know, three or four seconds of invincibility. So even if the enemies spawn on top of you, uh, then you can still have time to move out of the way. And that's another thing that I found quite funny. The enemy AI. Oh my God, the enemy AI. I don't understand in this game if the, en- if the enemy has an AI or not. So in certain circumstances, I was... I was fetching all the gold ingots, I think they called, around the screen. And say I did all the left-hand side, and I would notice that all the enemies would clump up on the right-hand side, where I still had to go, like they knew I had to go there. Then I I went on to the right-hand side, and they started going to the left-hand side. I thought, maybe it's not an AI thing. (laughs) And then, of course, there's moments where you climb a ladder, and you've got three or four of these enemies crawling around, of course, then I try. I very skillfully try to jump over them. So from the ladder, you can drop down anywhere and fall down if, if there are no walls. And of course, as soon as I do that, the enemy that was underneath me changes direction and then I fall on him. I, it, it was just that I, I don't understand if it's got an AI or if it's completely erratic, but they always seem to catch me. I think it's a very good question. And, uh, you know, the answer might be found in the source code, which I think they have, they have actually released, at least the, the original MSX version. But uh, well, before we start trying to investigate the code itself, I'm not sure either. I have, I had some moment when I thought, are these enemies really onto me somehow? Especially around level 20, when things are already a little bit more on the puzzle side. And there are some levels that you really need to think before you act. Or, well, if you do like I did, I acted immediately and then I had to repeat the level at least 10 10 times before realizing I was doing it wrong. But I had this feeling that these little critters sometimes would stop as if they were listening to me for a second before deciding whether to turn back or to 
keep going. But it, it's really hard to tell. And um, I had this feeling more on the Mega Drive version. And I wonder if they did change something in the way that the, the enemies really determine their own movements. But anyway, I'm a bit surprised that you say that the, the MSX version is your favorite because I was expecting, knowing you, I was expecting that you would have said that you definitely prefer the Mega Drive version because the look and the sound is one step ahead of the MSX version, obviously. I don't think so. I, I disagree. For me, the look was... Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. It was... I think if I, if I don't recall... If I recall correctly... The Mega Drive version also scrolls left and right, so it's not like a yeah, so a little bit strictly, you know, one, one yeah, not strictly a one screen puzzler. It, it has a bit of overscan left and right. The things I noticed about um, the Mega Drive version was yeah, the enemies were a bit clearer, so they had a different color from you. I think they were red, but I don't remember now. And you were, I think you were green, but I, I. Don't tell you, you will know better this because you've played that a bit more. But other than that, there was a lot of variety of colors on the screen. So, for example, on the MSX, the flames would be positioned on top of the wall, of a wall tile. But on the Mega Drive, they were like bins. Mm -hmm. So that added other colors in, like the blue of the can and stuff like that. And it just made it for a more confusing experience for me, even if it did make up for some points where the Mega Drive was a bit clearer. You could see the enemy better, let's say, and uh, and that would, would be helpful. Also, on the remastered version, the AI seemed to be more aggressive and the enemies would move a bit faster and they were colored differently as well. But I found that a bit more difficult. In fact, the remastered version I found more difficult than the original version. And I think the remastered version also, yeah, has, it does have more colors compared to the to the original. So I like the simplicity of the original. And I was very struck by how well I could see where the ladders were. It was always very, everything was always very clear, except obviously the, the enemy positioning and yourself until I found myself. Well, I'm generally surprised because that's what I thought. <laughs> that That's what I had in mind since the start. I was betting that I was going to prefer the MSX version exactly because it looks simpler but so effective. And also, I should say, it has a very, very 80s feeling to me. Not just the look of it, but the sound of it. All these little sound effects, uh, they really brought me back to an arcade alley. Especially I like that squelch sound when the enemies throw themselves into fire. <laughs> yes, I love that. I find it so stupid. And you're doing your thing somewhere else and you hear, <laughs> and they're just going in the fire by themselves. Yeah, yeah, that makes that uh, AI a little bit questionable in the MSX version at least. But uh, that that's really one of my favorite things in retro games, the effectiveness of simplicity in the graphic and the sound and the gameplay itself. But I was expecting you to say that instead you prefer the, the visual and sound improvement of the Mega Driver Genesis version. Well, let's say, I mean, it looks better in, in strict terms and it sounds better. It, you get quite a better stereo experience on the Genesis. But again, I'm more fond of the MSX version too because of this simplicity and effectiveness. The remastered version also has more music compared to the original MSX version. So for example, in the title screen, you've got nice music and during the levels, if I recall correctly, you've got a little tune playing as well. So maybe... Um, the remastered version is probably the way to go, the happy medium. Although by the time I tested that, I had finished it on the original MSX. So I've grown fond of it and everything else mm, didn't look right to me anymore. All right, fair enough. 
Well, I, I, I would say that if the Mega Drive version has one winning point is the fact that it actually has more enemy types. Well, it has ghosts in addition to the little people who are following you. So that that's basically the only real mechanical difference between the two games. Yeah. If you don't count, for example, the password system to skip levels, that's okay, nice addition, but not a game changer, really. Why not a game changer? At least for me, I, I like this game enough so that I do not mind at all to restart it from the first level every time. So it, it didn't bother me when I played the MSX version to restart from first first level. It's not that long anyway. I, I didn't I didn't like start it again. Right. I didn't like it. So I, I, again, left it on for hours on end. Then it froze and I had to restart. Then it froze again. Then I had to restart again. Oh, oh okay. I've done, the, I, I knew the puzzles off by heart, some of them. So I just did them. Uh, once you've done them, there's no replayability in that sense for me, unless you, you play the other versions. It's a nice game. Again, there's another thing you said that I didn't, I didn't notice the disappearing blocks. I remember when mm -hmm. you step on an arrow tile and then the platform expands, but I don't remember when it disappears. I thought I saw the mines and level 20 is all about the mines, but I don't remember the disappearing blocks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that there are some levels, but to be honest, it could be that they are on the Mega Drive version and not on the MSX versions. Now I might be mixing the two versions a little bit, but I am sure that there's levels with blocks that once you step on them the first time, they disappear. Yes, yeah. okay, maybe the game. It's one or the, the other age. version at least. Yeah, yeah. There's also intro screens on the Mega Drive, is that right? So when you start, it says entering the mansion and then every level has got a name on the Mega Drive. I don't know if you noticed that. No didn't notice i did notice the intro but not the yeah not the names of the levels oh by the way we mentioned the music and i i think that we we that's really one of the high point of the game in my opinion there's little loops of music and uh but they they change every level although they are also coming back in later levels so it's not exactly one different music per level but there's quite a variety and uh, i think they really capture the atmosphere in both versions in my opinion they're re really good i would really give top grades on the music on this game yes i mean for the mega drive for sure uh, but i i again i didn't mind i didn't mind the msx uh, sound effects uh, for the original version at all and i quite like the 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 theme on the remastered that Reminded me a bit of the SID for the C64, so how they play the music there, that kind of music, if you understand my what I'm trying to what I'm trying to convey. Um I think as well there is another little difference on the Mega Drive seeming a bit more thought about is so the fires are were on some top of some bins or some I don't know how they call them, cans of, of fire, and you could pass underneath the can. Or let's say in a depth mode, you would pass below, under the bin, and pop out the other side without without getting burnt. I noticed that, and I thought oh, that's a neat addition that they didn't do on the MSX, for example. But let's hear from one of our listeners, Weedo or Weedo, and see what he thinks about Yazzie. Hi guys, I've just beaten the Mega Drive version of Jazzy, and it's certainly a really cute puzzle platform game. It overall gof gave me strong Donkey Kong 94 vibes, which is a really a game I really love, the, the Donkey Kong game on the Game Boy. And also um, it has hints of uh, Bubble Bobble with the, the one screen puzzles and also the falling down and getting uh, up from uh, the screen above. And um, that's also a game I, I really enjoyed, especially as a kid. So, um, yeah, um, it has nice uh, colorful graphics. It took me about 45 minutes to beat, so it wasn't too long. It didn't overstay its welcome, and it wasn't infuriating difficult. There are some small flaws, though. Um, there was a lot of waiting around uh, for the enemies. They're a bit unpredictable. I think 
yeah, maybe a little bit too much RNG from uh, my taste. And uh, yeah, that was sometimes annoying. I was just waiting around until the, the enemies were all jumping down onto uh, another platform so I can continue my game. But the game is so short, it's only a minor complaint. Um, I certainly recommend this game uh, for every listener of this show. And I'm looking forward uh, to hear about the differences with the MSX version. Okay, have a good one. Bye. Thank you very much for sending this clip in. I think it summarizes pretty well what I think about the game. So Diego, what about you? How did you feel about Yazi? No, well, I did find it really enjoyable. As I said at the beginning, I think that it wasn't stressing at all, like other platforms can be very much. But it had, for me, it really hit the right spot between uh, keeping me attentive and careful by playing, but also feeling quite relaxed and uh, I think that for this reason, I personally find this game quite replayable. I'm seeing myself loading it up every now and then and replay it from zero and all the better if I actually forget how to solve the more puzzle levels. What, what about you? What's your feeling about replaying this? In the future, I don't think I am uh, gonna play it again ever. Maybe, maybe in ten years when I forgot about it completely. Oh, I remember we talked about this. And, uh, I think I enjoyed it, but I, under a replayability point of view, I don't think I would pick it up again. Uh, not at least in the near future. It's a bit like when you watch a TV series and you've or or anything you watch really. Um, that you don't re- you're not really obsessed about you maybe think oh I'm never gonna watch that again then in 10 years oh I'll watch that again oh what, what was that about and you know and you go back and, and look at it but that's the kind of curiosity and replayability that I would expect from from this kind of genre but I did enjoy the experience again once again I I thought this was very similar to Inkerman in some respect that we that we talked about in the past even having said that, I, I was just so impressed by the graphics and the style, which is quite distinctive. I think we talked about uh, Misplaced in, I think, the second episode, always from Retrosol, and they had this very similar style with the enemies. They like these cutesy-looking enemies with the bobbling heads, and I think they had the similar thing on on that game as well. I would really like to talk to the developer which is retro souls uh, apparently it's just the one person right now in retro souls that's making these games so kudos to him and his passion and his technical knowledge because he's doing games for all sorts of platforms so it's really good i've enjoyed it probably a bit short and maybe i should have played through completely on the remastered as well but i did not finish that or i didn't finish the mega drive version either i finished only the original and that was enough for me also because i thought the puzzles were the same yeah i think that uh, the first couple of levels are practically identical between uh, the msx and the mega drive version maybe there is not exactly the same number of goals to pick but otherwise they're pretty much equivalent but after that there are differences i think that the levels have been redesigned for the mega drive version at least some of them it presents a bit more variety as well on the mega drive i think in terms of tiles and stuff yeah and i see what you say looks better i'm probably just very biased the puzzles are i think really good and for me personally they don't become extremely difficult from one level to another they're increasingly difficult and i like that this, again, is another puzzler without any progression and you want to play because you want to get to the next level, but that's all the motivation you've got. Having said that, though, the levels are so affable. I don't know if you can say that. You can deal with them because you can deal with them, with them trying them out once or twice, maybe even 10 times, but then you succeed, then you, you can progress. It keeps you hooked into that mechanic. But I was really stumped at level 20. At level 20, it took me like... I don't know, 40 attempts to understand what I should do. And it was the last level, so fair enough. But I really did not understand what I was supposed to do there. 
Okay, going over the mines and back and then trying that approach and then find out that I've only got two hammers, but I can't get them both. And I just did not understand. It took me ages to finish that level. Eventually I got it. But yeah, that was the only level that actually gave me some headaches. Yeah, I noticed the same and uh, it's the same also with the 20th level on the Mega Drive. And I think in the remastered version, this level is still there identical but it's moved to a later number perhaps 29 or something like that because it really is difficult it's the puzzlest of all yeah i think that was really hard for me to understand but there you go <laughs> okay let's let's wrap it up for today and let's talk about the next game very quickly we're going to play a game called Xeno Crisis, which is a bit more modern and has a bit more of a graphical impact, let's say. It's got better graphics, and that is for the arcade, the Dreamcast, and the Mega Drive. And as a genre, I wouldn't know a shoot 'em up, maybe? Not a shoot 'em up. I don't know the name. Uh, have you ever heard of it? Uh, not yet. This would be a surprise for me, too. And not only you, because we're going to have Mark on the next episode as well, talking about this game. So it'll be three of us having a blast, killing loads of monsters in different arenas, apparently. Game at newgameoldflame.com is the email where you can write to us. Any questions you have, we'll read them on the show. Or if you want to send us your contributions in forms of clips, if you play along with us, you can write your opinion and we'll read it. Or again, you can reach us on Discord. We have our server and you can reach us by going on the website www.newgameoldflame.com this time I said it right there's a link there you click it and you get in the server write to us your opinion on the game that we're going to play if you submit it five days before airing it will go in unless you don't speak profanity that's about it I think until next time have a great evening thanks for listening to us a big shout out to Retro Asylum once more for always helping out and being so supportive have a great evening, Diego. I will talk to you in um, a week or so. And all of you, stay safe. Goodbye. Have a nice night. It is midnight and it's time for snooze. Thank you and happy retro gaming, everyone. Mm -hmm.